18, John chapter 18. I'm sure all of you have had experiences like me where you thought you knew something, but then you found out what you thought you knew wasn't true. Uh, I would imagine there's some in here this morning like me, you've even argued about things that you thought you were right about only to find out in time you were wrong. Now, that's embarrassing when you're arguing about sports history or some trivia question, but when it's about larger issues in life, it can really be devastating because when decisions are made from a premise of falsehood, it always leads us astray. There was an occasion in our nation in October 30th, 1938, where many Americans tuned their radios into Mercury Theater on the air, and that's where Americans got their entertainment in those days. And as they tuned in, it was Halloween night, and the producers thought it would be fun to depict H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, and there was a young actor who one day would go on to make films, a young actor by the name of Orson Welles, who provided the voiceover work for that project. As the show began, it offered kind of a disclaimer that what would be heard in this show would, would uh, not be false, or would not be true, rather. It was, it was going to be fictitious, and, and yet many people tuning in missed that warning. And so for the next 62 minutes, they heard what sounded like a live news broadcast of the world being invaded by Martians. And millions of Americans believed that was really happening. And, and you can imagine what happened. They went to pieces. They began to panic. They made all kinds of decisions that were not good decisions because they believed in something that was not true. It was a false alarm. A false alarm. I think there's a sense in which we are living in a day of false Alarm, And I want to tell you what I mean by that. There are so many falsehoods today that are being perpetuated and believed and accepted that it should be alarming to anyone who knows that there is truth to be found. Maybe you've heard of Aesop's fable of the boy who cried wolf. In his case in time, people stopped listening and the wolf came and no one responded. But I think we're seeing an experience in our day where the opposite is taking place. Falsehoods are stated with such frequency that they are accepted at their face value. And quite often our source for information is a source who got their source from a source who got their source from a source. And really nobody is sure even where the philosophies they're espousing or accepting are coming from. We, we just seem to be repeating many of the same things over and over. I want to invest the next several weeks in a study I'm just going to call false alarm. False alarm. And I want to deal with some of the issues that are conventional or common, uh, issues that are widely accepted, growing cultural beliefs that have not been vetted. Uh, I want to share with you that this is not an easy type of a series to prepare for or to teach about, but it's a series I think that we need. And so we're going to begin today, and in your bulletin you had a little guideline of where we'll be going. We're going to be talking about the truth, about truth. We're going to talk about thy word is truth. Uh, listen. We so often say we believe what we believe because the Bible says so. Well, I want you to know the Bible doesn't speak. The Bible doesn't say anything. I know what we mean when we say that, but the point is the Bible's a re recording of that which people have said. So who said that it was then recorded in the Bible? How do we know the Bible's reliable? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the truth about Jesus. Seems that everybody today has an opinion of Jesus. Well, really, what's the truth? Who is he? 
And what does that mean for us? We're going to talk about the truth about evil, and that's not one of the questions that non-believers have, a, have an issue with. It's the question more than any other. That's the question that people wrestle with. They wonder, if there is a God and He is good, why does He let bad stuff happen? And they have a hard time with that. We're going to deal with that issue. We're going to talk about the truth of life and death and the truth about eternity. I believe this is going to be a very helpful series. And I promise you to do my best in preparing. I'll do my best in teaching. I hope you'll do your best to be here. And I hope you'll do your best to bring others with you. And uh, we're, we're going to have a, a good time going through some of this uh, information in, in, in our series. And so uh, to begin a study that highlights truth, we need to tackle very obvious question. We need to define our terms. And so today we're going to talk about this. What is truth? What is truth? And that's a question that has been asked for a long time. And we're going to hear a man today in our study who asked that question. He was a man that uh, was very successful. He had a lot of power. He had a great position. He had prestige. He was loaded financially. This guy had all the world says you need to have, but in the midst of it all, he had to honestly ask this question. What's truth? What's truth? And I think we can glean much from the experience in which that question was asked. And if you'd be so kind as to join me in standing, I'd like for us to read our scriptures together. John chapter 18. John chapter 18. We're going to read quite a few verses today. We'll stop a little bit short of the verses in your, uh, in your bulletin, but, but I want us to get the context. John chapter 18 in, in verse uh, 28. Hey, if you're still alert and with me this morning, say amen. amen. All right, we got to get in on this. There's a world that thinks we're nuts for believing what we do. And the thing is, we know the truth, we have the truth. And uh, we need to understand this so that we can be grounded in our faith and so we can share it with other people. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that we can know, that we can know. Verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. They themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might uh, eat the Passover. I'm going to read on, but we find here the Jewish leaders, after, after uh, breaking every Jewish law and trying the Lord that night, now early in the morning, they, they take him, the Bible says, to the judgment hall, and they didn't go in because they didn't want to be ceremonially unclean. That would have defiled them as Jewish men getting ready to enter into a special feast. By the way, how hypocritical that they would have broken every law all that night, but they would have found some kind of personal justification and in, in not breaking one rule like that, but at any rate, verse 29, Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring you against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It's not lawful for us to put any man to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered unto, unto, uh, to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from 
hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Sayest thou that I am a king? To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What's truth? Now let's catch what's going on here. Jesus said, uh, listen, to this end, for this cause, for this reason, for this purpose, for this life objective, I came for one reason, and it's to bear witness of the truth. He was a witness of the truth. He testified of the truth. As Christians, we're called to be witnesses. We're called to be a testimony of truth. Jesus told us to do that, and Jesus did the very thing he told us to do. Jesus said, there was a reason I came. It's to bear witness of the truth. And to that, Pilate responds by saying, truth? What's truth? What's that? How does that work? Verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. I'm going to read on, but we've seen in previous studies that Barabbas, B-A-R, that prefix in the Bible means son of. Son of. Uh, And so Barabbas, his name means son of, and Abba is the last part of his name, father. Jesus Christ is the Son of God the Father, and they found a duplicate in Barabbas. He was the Son of the Father. Many people think Barabbas was actually the Son of the High Priest. We don't know for sure, but they took a counterfeit for Jesus, and that's kind of what the world's been doing ever since. So we see what's happening here, verse, uh, chapter 19. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know, listen to this, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man! When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Find ye him, or Take ye him, and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Now think of this. Crucify him. I find no fault in him. How do you put those words together? Now I want you to go back, if you would, to verse 38 in chapter 18. And I want us to look to that expression again. Near the beginning, Pilate saith unto him, and here it is, What is truth? Our Father God, we need you today. May you open the eyes of our spiritual hearts so that we may see truth and that we may learn and that we may grow. Fill me with your spirit, Lord, so that I can say the things today that you would have to be said. Work in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Pontius Pilate was the prefect or the ruler of Judea under the ultimate authority of a Roman Caesar by the name of Tiberius. 
wilderness. We see uh, did his job. He more or less was given the responsibility of keeping the taxes rolling into the Roman coffers. And basically, he could do his job however he wanted to do it as long as he kept the money coming into Rome and as long as he kept the peace. Rome's philosophy was simple. These co-opted peoples, the Jewish people, we've co-opted them into, into our empire. Uh, you, you can lead how you want, Pilate, but just don't let a problem arise. We can tolerate a lot of things, but problems, insurrections, uh, instability, we don't want any of that. And so his leadership was evaluated on the basis basis of keeping the money rolling in and making sure that there were no troublemakers or rabble-rousers coming along. He knew he was being watched at all times. Now you can imagine how his attention was arrested when Jesus was brought by the religious leaders known as the Sanhedrin uh, into his presence. And, and when asked what Jesus had done, we read a moment ago, they just simply said he was a, a malefactor, and that means he was a troublemaker. And they chose that word very specifically because Pilate had been given direct orders by Rome not to tolerate any troublemakers. And so they bring Jesus in, and, and, and he asked, what did Jesus do? And they said, he's a troublemaker. Here's what they're saying. Pilate, we've got a problem here. We, we don't like this man he's a troublemaker and if if you don't deal with this man you're going to find he's going to become your trouble rome's not going to tolerate a leader who deals with malefactors it's not lawful for us they said to put any man to death they were telling Pilate this we want this man put to death now the jews had a degree of freedom under roman rule and occupation a degree of freedom and the sanhedrin the religious leaders of the Jews had the opportunity to execute judgment and and they could do all manner of things but their freedom stopped just short of the death penalty and so their presence there before Pilate was a very clear indication they wanted one thing and one thing only to take place in in Jesus life they wanted him to be crucified to be crucified in the conversation that ensued Pilate asked Jesus something that's very important art thou a king then Art thou a king then? Pilate's thinking, hey, I'm the man on the throne in this situation. Are you you a king then? Now surely the news of Christ's triumphal entry on the day we called Palm Sunday would have made its way to uh, to the chamber room of Pilate. He would have heard how Jesus was brought in on a colt and how people were shouting Hosanna and throwing down palm branches and so forth. I'm sure he would have heard of those things. And and Jesus wisely responded to that question this way. Sayest thou this thing of thyself or did others tell it of thee? And and Pilate deflected uh, that question altogether. He basically said to Jesus, am I a Jew? Why would you expect me to know what's happening in your world? I I have no idea what's going on in, in your part of the world. And so he says to Jesus, basically, so what have you done to get yourself in this trouble? Jesus articulated he'd done nothing wrong, and he cleared the matter up of of his kingdom not being of this world. He, He said this, he said, you know, if my kingdom was earthly like your kingdom, my followers wouldn't be people of peace like they've been known to be. They would be fighting to establish me in a position of authority and leadership, but they're not fighting. And then Jesus made a statement that literally rocked Pilate's world. He said something that got to the heart of the matter. I want you to listen to what he said. For this cause. Can I ask you today, do you have a cause? What's your reason? What's your purpose? Why are you here? A lot of people evaluate the 
the goodness of their life by its duration. I think we do better to evaluate our lives by our donation. What are we doing? What are we giving? Jesus was a man of cause. For this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Jesus was saying his life was all about the truth, and that did not sit well with Pilate. In fact, Pilate's response to that question was just simple. Well, what's truth? That's your cause, truth? What's truth? Now, really, isn't that an interesting question? And it was really incredibly revealing, and there's no doubt Pilate would have access to more facts than the average person. He was presumably smart and was exposed to the education systems of the day, but in his search in life, he never came across the truth. Now, in time, we know what Pilate did. He turned over an innocent Jesus to be crucified. He knew it was unjust. He knew it was wrong. And I I want you to know why he did it. How did he find justification? He felt enough justification to do wrong for one reason. He didn't know truth. I'm saying Pilate consented to the death, the horrific death on the cross for our Lord and Savior. And he could justify his actions because without truth, you're free to make rules up for yourself. That's why he did it. He kind of lived by the saying, if it's good for me, it must be good. If it's good for me, it's good. But that falsehood leads to, that falsehood rather, it leads to alarming conclusions. And so as we think of Pilate, who was at least honest enough to articulate this question, we're going to see a few things in this text. And if you have your notes nearby, I want us to begin as we look here by seeing an empty search. An empty search. I can't tell you how much or how far Pilate went in his search for truth, but I can tell you that many of the sources to which we look in our day were available in his day. And I would imagine that Pilate looked in a lot of the places that people are looking in this day. Those who look for truth and meaning often look in the very same places. And, and so what are some of the common places to which people look? Now, admittedly, there are some people that would never ask the question, what is truth? Because their minds just don't go that far. But thinking people have historically looked in the same places. And so what are these places? I think philosophy is one place, and we are probably the least thinking generation the world has seen in many, 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 many years. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I I think we have a lot of electronic preoccupation and we've got a lot of needless facts that we're all the time consuming but but really in in previous years people thought a lot more than we're thinking today men like plato and socrates would have preceded Pilate by three and four hundred years philosophers the thinkers people whose lives and words are studied even to this day and i have no doubt that philosophy was really a big part of the world in which Pilate was living and it's a place you would have gone to try and find a little reason for why we should keep pressing on in this thing we call life. The famous questions that have surrounded uh, the philosophers have always been things like, who am I and where did I come from and where am I going and what is my purpose? And, And these questions are essentially seeking for truth. And although philosophy has offered some helpful insights, these questions are the same questions that are being asked today. Many people look to science for truth. They look to the scientific method to find things that are sure and true. 
And I want to say that I'm grateful for so much of what science has taught us over the years. Uh, Much good has come, obviously. Thanks to scientists, we can know the chemical composition of stars and nebula. We know the orbital patterns of distant planets far from the earth. We're grateful for that. They've delved into the subatomic realm, finding laws of nature that have helped in, in many, many ways. But many scientists have looked to the creation and they've failed to see a creator. It would be similar to looking at a painting of, of the Mona Lisa and, and denying that there ever was the hand of an artist involved, denying that, that Leonardo da Vinci was involved in that, in that process. Many who believe that science is the sole dispenser of truth need to remember that science is done by scientists. And I've yet to meet a perfect person in any arena, including that arena. Scientists are on occasion wrong. On occasion, they're wrong. Once upon a time, if you believe the world was a sphere, as the Bible told us it is, the scientists would have said, you're an absolute moron. The world is flat. Everybody knows that. And everybody was wrong. Never forget that the majority may be against you, and you still may be right. And so we understand there are occasions where scientists will will be wrong. I think of the folly of scientism, a, a, a book written by Austin Hughes, and, and he made this statement in this book. He said, the high confidence in funding and peer review panels should seem misplaced to anyone who has served on these panels and witnessed the extent to which preconceived notions, personal vendettas, and the like can torpedo even the best proposals. That was an evolutionary biologist, Austin Hughes, who made that statement. That was a man on the inside who said, let me tell you what I'm seeing when I look on the inside of the scientific world it's just like every other part of the world there's there's a lot of self-agenda in the midst of it science for example can tell us a murder took place and how it happened but there's no method for determining good or bad you see the deeper truth is deeper still now i'm i'm not saying there's no place for philosophy or science in our lives that's not what i'm saying at all Uh, but i am saying that you can invest a lifetime searching in those areas and you'll come up with more questions than answers if you don't know what truth is i think of king solomon And King Solomon was regarded as the wise man, the sage of his day. In Ecclesiastes 1, verses 13 and 14, uh, really in in a moment of of, uh, candor, he said, And I gave my heart to seek uh, and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. And so his search is for for truth, in essence, for, for wisdom. He said, I've seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold... All's vanity and vexation of spirit. We can see where an empty search will lead us to more emptiness. And that leads us to a second thought in our study this morning. We see an alarming result. An alarming result. Now let's think of this. Why did Pilate find justification in himself to release Jesus to those that he knew would crucify him? How could he bring himself to knowingly allow a just man to suffer the injustice of the cross? And the answer is, if there's no moral absolutes, you're free to make up the rules as you go. And I believe many people today willingly disbelieve in the existence of God because if there is no final authority, that makes us the authority. And we can live by the old mantra, if it's good for me, it's good. And so we find that Pilate sends an innocent Jesus to his death 
because he could justify his actions that way. He didn't know what truth was. And that's a sad thing, but I find that that's a very common thing. This, this is important because this is the world we're living in today. You see, by and large, we live in the midst of a culture that doesn't believe in, in moral absolutes. In general today, as a people, we don't like the notion of right or wrong. If someone says that is right, someone will say you're too narrow. If, if someone says that is wrong, someone will say you're too narrow. There's a research group known as the Barna Research Group, and they ask the question, do you believe in, in absolute truth? Do you believe in moral absolutes? And 66% of American adults said there is no such thing is absolute truth now let me define this to you what may be true for you may not be true for me now you can disagree with my message today but you cannot disagree with the fact we're living in a nation where over 60 percent of the adults would come to the conclusion there's no such thing as absolute truth to make matters worse 18 to 25 year olds 72 percent of the younger generation have come to the conclusion there is no moral absolutes there's no absolute truth now to those who would say there's no absolute truth i want to say is that true absolutely it's ridiculous the lack of truth as a guide to so many today leads us to become the final authority in our own lives and it provides us with self-justification to do anything that brings pleasure to us. If it's good for me, it must be good. And if we don't come to the conclusion that there is truth, we can, we can feel good about turning Jesus over to be crucified. We can feel good about any sin that our minds can conceive of. Because if it's good, it, it's good for me. Have you ever noticed how we can shade things, even facts, to favor ourselves? You haven't noticed that? Okay, good. Mike has. Oh, boy. Got to keep our eye on Mike. I heard of one family who served as a great example of this. It was a Smith family, and they were proud of their family traditions and their ancestors, and they did a little genealogy research, and their family could be traced all the way back to the Mayflower and in the Smith family. There were senators, and there were a couple pastors in there, and there were some Wall Street wizards, and they were so proud of their family that they decided to hire an author to write the story of, of their family. There was a problem, however. Uh, they also, in the midst of their research, discovered there was an uncle, Uncle George Smith, who was electrocuted to death in the electric chair. They thought, how are we going to handle this? They talked to the author about it, and he said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of everything. you got a great family story here. And don't worry about old Uncle George. I'll take care of that. And when they got the book, they went to the part where Uncle George was to see how, how this was handled. And in that portion, they read this. George Smith occupied a chair of applied electronics, uh, electronics at an important government institution. <laughs> he was attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock to everyone. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, there are ways where we can kind of shade things to say what we want said. The Bible paints a very different picture for life than trying to make things fit our view. In the Bible, we read of good and we read of evil. We read of right, we read of wrong, we read of honesty, we read of dishonesty. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 and verse 17, recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of God and men. And so the Bible gives us this understanding that we're to live by truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that leads us to the final thought we'll consider today. I want us to see an amazing opportunity. How many of you like opportunities? Well, we're going to see an amazing opportunity in this text, okay? 
When Pilate said, what is truth? It was apparent in his life he wasn't really looking for an answer. Let's put that question in context. He said, what is truth and what happens next? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews. So let's get the picture. Here's Jesus. Here's Pilate. Jesus said, I've come to bear witness of the truth. And Pilate says, what's truth? That's how it happened. What's truth? I'm out of here. He didn't stand around and say, teach me, guide me, show me, explain it to me. What is truth, Jesus? Let's get in a dialogue here. He had an opportunity like, like few have ever had to stand in the very physical presence of Jesus Christ, truth personified, and he had the opportunity to say, show me truth. But he asked the question and immediately dismissed Jesus. It was one of those rhetorical questions you really don't want answered, you know. And he just walked away. He had an amazing opportunity, and he blew an amazing opportunity. Jesus had just told him, for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness. Pilate was clearly not of the truth. He didn't want to hear what Jesus said. And we can all be that way. Truth sometimes is very hard to handle. Um, I kind of sympathize with a guy I read about not too long ago. And uh, his wife was on a business trip, and, and she called, and they were talking, and and she had a cat she loved. She said, honey, how's the cat? And uh, he said, dead. Cat's dead. She said, honey, why did you say it like that? Don't you know? You, you, you're supposed to break it to people gently and slowly and over time. And, and maybe you could have just said today, you know, the, the cat's on the roof. The cat's on the roof, you know. And then tomorrow you could have said, you know, oh, the cat's at the vet. And then when I got home, you could have said, honey, the cat, the cat died while you were away. And, and you've got to break it out, out slowly that way. And the man was trying to come to terms with how he was supposed to communicate with his wife. And, and she said, well, anyhow, how's my mom? And he said, she's on the roof. Okay, so it's kind of <laughs> breaking it in slowly there. Sometimes the truth is, is harsh, I'm sure there are things that, if true, would have a great impact on our lives. But if there are principles of truth that can serve not only as a foundation for life, but as a guide to life, wouldn't we want those? As Jesus was introduced in John's Gospel, I want you to hear what the Bible says. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that grace and truth come together because truth is incredibly harsh. I mean, the truth, it's just coming straight at you. Jesus came to bring grace because the truth can be harsh and overwhelming. And the truth of us, because of the laws, that we're all sinners. And so Jesus came to bring grace. And, and I'm so thankful for that. Pilate did what he thought was best with himself being the judge. He did what he thought was the best with himself being the judge. But based on his decision, based on a false premise, it led to an alarming result. A false alarm. His false premise for life led to an alarming consequence in his life. It seemed good at the moment. I did a little reading on Pilate and the Bible doesn't really tell us the rest of his story, but thankfully history does. There's actually a lot written about world history from that time. And, and, and I read just in, in history from the time that, that Pilate received his appointment by Tiberius, the Caesar of Rome. He received his appointment because 
Pilate and, and Tiberius had a friend in common, a friend that kind of covered for Pilate and said, hey, Tiberius, can you get Pilate this job over here? He'd do a great job being the prefect or the ruler of, of Judea. And, and that friend was named Sejanus. There were times when Pilate wasn't doing so well, and history records that his friend would kind of be a buffer. He'd provide a little cover for him. But the, the time came where his friend died. Uh, let me read to you, if I may, just from Encyclopedia Britannica. I read from the Word of God. That's always true. What I read from the Encyclopedia is normally true. But let me just share with you a little bit of what history records about Pilate. Now, let's not forget, what did Pilate do? He basically murdered Jesus because he was an expedient politician. He was a pragmatist to the core. If it's good for me, it must be good. I'm going to do what I want. And the rest of you can pound sand because it's all about me. History says after Sejanus' fall in AD 31, Pilate was exposed to sharper criticism from the Jews who may have capitalized on his vulnerability by obtaining a legal death sentence on Jesus. The encyclopedia even referenced John 19, verse 12. The Samaritans reported him to Vitellius, legate of Syria, after he had attacked him on Mount Gerizim in A.D. 36. He was then ordered back to Rome to stand trial for cruelty and oppression, particularly on the charge that he executed men without proper trial. Now, is that the end for Pilate? I'd say it probably is. I can't say the encyclopedia is infallible, but somebody did a little research. And this man who based his life on the premise that there is no truth other than me had Jesus killed and in part his ultimate demise was led about by his having put Jesus to death. You see, what you do with Jesus Christ makes a big difference, not only in life, but in death, and a big difference in eternal life or eternal death. If Pilate would have taken time to listen, he would have heard Jesus say something about truth that might have said something like this, I'm the way and I am the truth. Jesus would have helped him understand, I'm, I'm the truth. You can know me, but instead he pushed Jesus out. He thought he had it right, but you cannot be right without truth. We're, we're just beginning this study today, and, and, and if you're here and questions have, have come up in your mind in the course of our study, I hope you'll give me a few more weeks to get into this. I can't answer every question for one main reason. I don't know them all. And if I knew every question, I still couldn't answer them because I don't know everything there is to know. I don't have the questions uh, and I don't have the answers to all questions. But I know this, so much of what we need to know to do life right, it's found in the Word of God. And we're going to get in the midst of this study. And not only are we going to learn what truth is, we're going to learn some truth that can help us along the way. But we need to know it really all begins with our response to Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now why a lot of people reject and push Jesus away. Because if there's no ruler in their life, if there's no judge in their life, then they can call the shots and they can provide the judgment. They just don't want a God because of the ramifications that it brings. And it's so sad to me that Pilate had such an amazing opportunity and he blew it. But here's the good news. We still have that amazing opportunity. 
we can know the truth and grow in the truth and live a life based on a foundation that's not going to crumble. It's an opportunity we have before us today. Our Father, thank you that you made it clear in your word that there is truth to be known. You're such a good God. You think of it all. You love us so much. And Lord, I pray that this day we would begin a a series as a church family that would help us to be people who are more appreciative of the truth. And Lord, many times even even churches can can become this way where we become so pragmatic. It's, It's no longer about what would the Lord have as much as it is what I want, what we want. And Lord, may we seek to honor you in our lives. Help us this day, we pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And I want us to think, really, with open hearts, I want us to think of 